Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. And we would like to remind you that quoting yourself on social media is literally the most corny thing you can do. Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money. Malcolm, another show, another day, another dollar, as we always say. Yeah. What's going on with you, man? How are you? Oh, uh, you know, same old same. Same old same, uh, huh? Happy to be on, on set. Right. Running my mouth about money. Indeed. It's probably something I do in my sleep at this point, in, so, you know. Indeed. I have a little bit of a dilemma I need your help with. Okay. As you know, um, I'm li we're literally... My my family and I, my, my wife and I, uh, on the cusp of closing on our house, like we're a week out right now. Right. And there's an issue. Okay. There's, there's a, always an issue. There's a pair of these Nikes that I'm just fiending for. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to entertain this as reasonable conversation. It's not. Let's move on. I can't have like a desire or a last thing that I want before I tie myself to this house. I'm afraid that if I engage in this conversation, it's going to validate what you're saying right now. Uh -huh. So I'm just going to ignore you and say, let's, next question. <laughs> next question, of course, of course. Uh, well, I want to remind people that you're listening to Manage Your Damn Money. Um, on this show, we are actually talking about love and money. <laughs> Is that why you... Yeah, I was trying to build drama. Okay. Did it work? No. Okay, well, no. I won't do that again. <laughs> uh, but we, we're doing love and money because someone suggested it to us um, here at Montgomery Community Media. And we're like, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's do that. Um, but before we get into that, uh, as we always do on every show, it is now time for headlines. Dun -dun 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 -dun. Headline this week, Malcolm. NFL rookie Saquon Barkley plans to save his entire $31 million contract. This was a story uh, that came out July 2018 on FoxBusiness.com by Thomas Barabi. Um, and the headline is, uh, or the, the article reads, New York Giants rookie running back Saquon Barkley plans to live off of his endorsements income and devote the rest of his NFL earnings to investments and savings, including the $31 million contract he signed with his new team on Sunday or the Sunday at the time. Uh, Barkley, who was taken number two as the overall pick or number two overall pick in April's NFL draft, inked a four-year deal that includes a $15 million payout upon signing, which mm -hmm. is insane because he's, he's, he's a rookie. Yeah. Um, the deal establishes Barkley as one of the NFL's highest paid running backs with a league leading $21 million in compensation for the 2018 season, which is just one season. He's going to get $21 mil. In, one, in his one first season. So what's crazy about that, too, is it's almost unprecedented. It's guaranteed. Right. So one of the biggest gripes about the NFL has always historically been these guys take the most amount of risk physically out right. of all the professional sports leagues. Right. 
and they're the only one that doesn't have guaranteed contracts they, in the stands. They have literally the least secure I contracts. don't know who he has as an agent right. and what superpower that person <laughs> has that got him this guaranteed contract. Right. But that was the first thing that I read that I was like, man, this right. might be we might be turning a corner. Right. Especially for rookies cuz rookies are supposed to get like those really bammer right. uh, contracts. Like so, Odell Beckham is still playing on like a really sorry uh there, once upon a style. time you could as a rookie come in the league as the first 3 or 5 draft pick and really blow it out of the water. Right. And all of a sudden, collective bargaining agreement was formed, and here's your rookie deal. It's pretty standard. You have to right. play the first four years under this number. Right. Now, all of a sudden, we're finding that may not be the case going forward. So, right. like, I'm very happy for him. Right. Um, also, I'm very happy to hear he's taking the Marshawn Lynch approach right. and saying, I'm going to live off of whatever endorsement money my name can bring me in the future. Right. But this thirty-one million, at <laughs> least the twenty, whatever that's guaranteed, right? Y'all aren't getting this back. Going straight to the bank. Um, and the, the article went on. For now, Barkley plans to rely on his income from deals with companies like Nike, mm-hmm. Pepsi Company, uh, Panini, Panini, Panini America, and other sponsors for his day-to-day life. He used a portion of the money to buy a home for his parents in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was quoted in an article as saying, "Once I realized when I declared for the NFL draft and kind of realized where I was going to be drafted." That was something I was like, you know what? I kind of want to follow the Marshawn Lynch method. And Marshawn Lynch is like the uh, running back who we know played for the Seattle Seahawks and also for the Oakland Raiders, mm-hmm. um, who hasn't touched any of his earnings like over the course of his career. 58 million, something like that, that he reportedly, that's right. his contract money. That's that just sitting. never actually tapped into. Right, absolutely. Um, I don't want to touch that, he said. Uh, he said this while at a, a celebrity softball game event. Um, so, so this is interesting because... I want to point this out because he went on to say, I want to invest. I want to invest it and put it in the right people's hands and learn as I continue to make investments and just live off the endorsement deals. Mm -hmm. One thing that was interesting to me that I texted you when I saw the story was even this is like a huge step for athletes Mm -hmm. to think like, oh, I'm going to take the money that I initially get and I'm going to just put it away and only live off the bare minimum of what I could earn through other avenues. Um, but even in his saying, I want to invest it and put it in the right people's hands. In my mind, I'm like, dude, your hands are the right hands, not somebody else. Mm, I, I hear you, but he's also on the road 250 days sure. a week. I mean, a year. Okay. So there's only so much time he's going to have to dedicate to getting up to speed to learn anything about managing money. Sure. So he would be better off, I think, just sitting it in an account in cash that does nothing, but it doesn't lose anything either. Right. That maybe nobody else has access to. Right. I think that's probably the only for sure safe thing that you could do with it that you could be able to say, nobody's going to beat me out of my millions of dollars. Right, absolutely. But if he really is following the Marshawn Lynch approach, (laughs) from what I understand, Marshawn Lynch made his mom take personal finance classes so that she could be telling him what to do with his money. Absolutely. Because the only person in the world he trusts with his millions is his mama. Well, and that's good. And, I mean, taking that approach or approach similar to that where you're hiring yourself or hiring someone very close to you to be responsible for it in that way Mm – avoids becoming like the Clinton Portis of the world where you quote unquote put it in the right hands and then it ends up, you know, you lose half of the value of the money that you had because you're trusting someone who you don't necessarily have to trust and, and, and you may not need to trust with what they're doing with your, with your, with your money. Well, also he's, he's surrounded by some good 
people in right. the sense that, like, Justin Tuck, for example, who used to play for the same team, the New York Giants, right. he retired in 2016, I want to say, mm-hmm. decided to go back to school, got an MBA after retiring from the NFL, right. and is now actually working as an investment manager uh, uh, for a major firm. I did see that story. So you have people like that who maybe are kind of giving him that mold of, right. you know, here's the next steps, and that might be what he sees himself right. as. So maybe by putting it in the right people's hands, it's people who can teach him what to do. Right. Like Kobe Bryant started a venture capital firm, but right. he's also 50% involved in the decision-making, not just the silent partner athlete who's got the millions of dollars. Right. Maybe he's following that model. Right. You know, time will tell. Indeed. But it's guaranteed. That's the part <laughs> that matters the most to me from, right. the, from the first reading of it the story as it broke uh-huh. the fact that regardless of what happens to him tomorrow right he he sprains his ankle in training camp and right. all of a sudden he's quote unquote damaged goods right. he's still gonna walk away with those millions of dollars for taking that risk with his body that's a huge step in the right direction to me absolutely the first thought that i had when i read the story was finally <laughs> right like right finally like normally you don't hear about these financial thoughts from athletes until right. Much later in life, or there's like like that one one off player who you know saved everything, but really wasn't that good. Apparently, right. this kid it's is always the guy who's third or fourth round right. draft pick. That's right, like got a Wharton MBA or something. <laughs> also stashing it all away. And I literally the very first thing I said was finally yeah. like somebody coming into the league getting a large check and saying. I'm going to hold on to this. What a novel concept just to do that rather than do all these other things. Well, the best quote that I saw to sum this up not mm-hmm. too long ago, uh, it, actually I think it was Justin Tuck that said these guys have to realize that the NFL is an opportunity right. and not a career. Right. That Once you Man. change your mindset to realize that you're only here for a few years, you make as much as you possibly can and use that to launch you into whatever, whatever your actual career is going to be, right. then it kind of changes the way I think you view those millions of dollars once you get them. So, so like, what are the barriers to getting more or to just getting the athletic culture to think about athletic opportunity in this way? To play professional sports and to take the check and not, like, go trick at the club you know, what is the, how do you get to a place where more players are assuming this is what you should be doing rather than what we've seen for so many decades, I guess? Well, I think part of it is having better role models. Like I was just talking about the the, the guys who are just now retiring within the last three or four years right. that are still around right. and coming back to those players and saying, hey, look, don't listen to you know, so-and-so that, that, that blew $50 million because he had a drug habit and a Ferrari habit and whatever <laughs> else. Like, here's I, I've been to the other side. I've right. seen the light. Let right. me take you with me. And you have some guys that fortunately are like, yeah, show me. Right. Like, I don't want to be another statistic. I actually want to do something good. You just saw LeBron James open up a 40-something million dollar uh, school right. for kids in Akron, Ohio with his own money. Right. Like, that $40 million is a drop in the bucket for LeBron because he's actually been going in the right direction as far as his money is concerned right. and making it work for him. So right. fortunately, I think you have a whole other generation of athletes who's getting to watch the mistakes right. and the good stuff right. and saying, I'd much rather be LeBron opening a school <laughs> or Kobe opening a venture capital firm right. than Clinton Portis right. you know, or 
whoever else we could name that right. you know so absolutely well definitely an interesting story uh we want to remind people you're listening and watching manager damn money with ben and malcolm uh today's conversation at hand love and money again a hot topic that we haven't done in a while it gets the people going it gets the people going <laughs> Indeed it does, uh, but before before we take our first music break, I want to remind you, you can always catch past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. We'd also like it if you give us a rating and leave us a comment on any of, the, any of those platforms. It helps us go up in the ratings. If you have a question for Malcolm, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com, and he will answer your question on Malcolm's Money Minute. You can also follow us on social media. Malcolm, what's your uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram handle? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, mine is at MYDM with a one on the end. And always on Facebook.com backslash Manage Your Damn Money. Uh, this is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Malcolm, today's conversation at hand is love and money. Yeah. Again, because yeah. this is like the second time that we'll be covering this topic. But before we get into that. But we're covering it differently. Yes. We say that. We're covering it differently. You don't need to tune out now. <laughs> it was over a year ago, so I'm sure people you know, are ready for a refresher on this. But before we get into that. I just want to take a moment to kind of brag on ourselves okay? because I have some stats that I pulled from our uh, podcast downloads in particular, and we have downloads coming from some interesting places, interesting countries, which I will now read for you. Okay. We have folks in the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. so England, thank you for joining us, Australia, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Japan, South Africa, Singapore, New Zealand, really? Estonia, Ireland, France, India, Spain. Peru, Belgium, Brazil, Finland, Norway, Malawi, Argentina, Portugal, Austria, and that's just from the list that I copy and paste it. You might have got hacked. That sounds <laughs> like that's a lot. I mean, do we uh, credit Twitter with that? Do we? I, I, I really don't know. We credit the internet for that, <laughs> um, for sure. So, bravo. if you are listening in another country, though, tweet us, send us an email, yeah. let us know how you picked up the show because that is very interesting. Like when you pointed that out, I was like. He can't read. That, that, that's, just, that's not what that says. But, like, I'm very interested to know how people picked us up. Absolutely. So if you're in a uh, country other than the United States, give us a shout. Send us an email, info at managerdamnmoney.com. Tell us where you're listening from. Uh, but, of course, as we promised, today's conversation at hand for this episode, love and money again. As I mentioned, this is overdue. Over a year ago, we did an incredibly exciting show that spurred a whole lot of conversation. A we've lot. Been, we've been waiting to do, <laughs> do this show again, and today is the day. We are doing another love and money show, Millennials, Money, and Love. 
Uh, would you date someone who isn't well established financially? That's an interesting question. Yeah. Would you be okay if your woman was the breadwinner? Malcolm, I can't wait to pose you that question. <laughs> uh, should you and your partner split the bills 50-50 or according to who makes more? Questions like these are the ones we will tackle in this episode of Manage Your Damn Money. Um, so the first article that I actually pulled, uh, which was, I think, one that I like saved for myself because I thought it was interesting. Uh, the headline read, when women make more, couples hide it. Let me say that again. When women make more, couples hide it. And this was a 20, uh, July 2018 piece on CNBC.com by Megan Leonhart. Leon, Leon uh, when women are family breadwinner, it's when, when women are the family breadwinner. It turns out neither spouse wants to shout it from the rooftops. Uh, new research from the U.S. Census Bureau finds that one in four heterosexual couples have a non-traditional marriage, um, where the wife makes more than her husband. That's up from just 7% of households in 1970. Yet despite this rising trend, neither men nor women feel comfortable when the wife earns more and they'll go, go so far as report otherwise to confirm societal norms, Malcolm. Which so that's the amazing thing to me. <laughs> when I read that, men and women both that's deep. under-report. Right. They both downplay it. Right. That, that was amazing to me. Right. Um, <laughs> they try so so the article went on to say that the report examined couples responses from the annual social and economic supplement survey and compared those answers with tax filings husbands on average uh inflate their earnings by about 2.9 percent when their wives are the breadwinners meanwhile women reduce their earnings by 1.5 percent on average when they earn more according to the study um the article suggests ways to address this kind this kind of household and oh that's that's something else um, it was just saying that uh, in these kinds of households to ad account for that like difference, you should make sure that, you know, you're valuing the whole of what you contribute to the relationship. <laughs> then it says making sure that you discuss the topic with your significant other. Right. That is cute. I um, mean, also identify habits that maintain balance and recognition across roles, regardless of who's earning what, which is an interest. That, that was like the nice like, you know, yeah. That, couch that's cute yeah but uh what do you think of that malcolm people hiding that the woman makes more I, i'm 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 not surprised not surprised like, I, I, honestly i'm more surprised that as we've had conversations so many times on this show about how you know women make 75 cents or 80 cents to right. a dollar the fact that a quarter of u.s households still have women making more than men right because if you think about it if the guy is is you know, predisposed to making more, mm -hmm. and the woman still makes more, right. then that counterbalance would be thrown way out of whack, and you wouldn't even be allowed to lie about it <laughs> if she actually got paid 100% on right. the dollar, but that is a whole nother uh, economics saying. lesson that I'm not prepared to teach today. <laughs> so I think it is very interesting, though, that societally mm -hmm. we're just, you know, programmed to not be able to, to have that honest dialogue right. just yet. To say, you know, there are women who have careers who make more than uh, their husband. Right, right. Um, it's interesting to me because I posted something on social media and I, I posed the question, would your household be cool if the woman made more? Mm -hmm. And like I got two responses. Okay. No one responded. There's other things people like sound off on. But on this one, people were just like, eh, crickets. It was two people that responded. Literally two, and both of them were like, "Yeah, if my uh, woman is like making more than me. Go ahead." I'm like, "Where are the traditional, quote unquote, traditional people at?" Uh, 
or is that just like an unpopular thing that you can't share publicly? Well, that, I mean, I think that might be the reason why there were only two public responses. Because right. I've had this conversation, I don't know, countless times. Okay. Among different friend groups. Okay. And sometimes you get guys who are honest enough to say, no, I would really have a problem with it. Like, it would really bother me. Uh-huh. And other times you get guys that are like, mm, I don't know. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't think I would care. But, right. but you know, by the way that it's being said, that no, nah, he's lying. <laughs> um, what kind of guy are you, Malcolm? Actually, so I, I, I think I've thought about this. Uh-huh. And I think I'm very much fortunate in the sense that I consider myself to be somebody who makes a pretty good living right. as it stands. Right. So if I'm with a person who has managed to command a higher income than what I make that I'm proud of, right. then we're doing pretty <laughs> daggone good in conjunction, right? That I don't need to be so, complaining. Right. Then I have nothing to complain about. Because right. if I can tell you, like, yes, I'm doing really well for myself, right. and then I meet somebody who's also doing well for themselves, and right. them doing well for themselves just so happens to be more dollars than what I'm able to make, uh-huh. then we're going to be all right. <laughs> we're like, going to be all right. So that's essentially my take on it. Like I, yeah. I, I, I would be motivated, I think, to do a little better maybe if there was a huge disparity you know, there or right. you know, what have you. But fortunately, like I, I, I'm not that concern with it i'll tell i'll tell you what i think you good for us i'll tell you what i think baby keep making all the money (laughs) make way more money than me because it goes to the household so that's the kind of person i'm from and i'm from california so you can be a house husband and and, listen as 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 a native of california walking around the house in your robe in the morning and (laughs) absolutely absolutely when you're from california you don't care about those gender roles things that's ridiculous to me uh but anyway uh another story that we pulled uh, it's another interesting topic when it comes to love, money, couples, and money. How couples can split their money and the bills to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, this was uh, also from a July 2018 piece um, from dailyworth.com by Cynthia Ramrace. Um, whether it's through marriage or cohabitation, she writes, there comes a point in most serious relationships when we start talking about bank accounts and savings accounts, investment strategies, and retirement plan- plans. But the big question is, should we split our bills 50-50? Life is complicated, she says, and money is messy. You make more than they do. They have more debt than you do. You have student loans to pay. They have child support payments to keep up with. You're joining lives, but combining assets might be the most complicated part of that exercise. Um, And this is an interesting thing about talking about how complicated your lives become. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I recently, like within the last week and a half, had a conversation with my wife about we were like doing a check, like kind of like a, not even a financial check-in. We were just talking about stuff, and she hadn't looked at her student loan balance in a long time because she just has it on automatic and she pays extra towards it and she doesn't even think about it anymore. And she looked, and her balance was like we were both like what? <laughs> we were like, and she started like you know dancing. She was like, yo, my balance is almost done. Oh um, man. And I, on the other hand, I look at my balance and it just doesn't change, even though. I, <laughs> Even though I throw a whole bunch of money at it, it still just looks at me the same. That's hilarious to me because obviously I know your wife and right. I can imagine that. And yes. that whole scenario is hilarious to me. So it, it brought up an interesting conversation where we started talking about like, okay, what if if you pay off yours, like let's assume we're able to do that within the next year, mm-hmm. do you start saving at a higher rate than me and I just attack those loans? Is it a situation where mm-hmm. is it a situation where she do we feel compelled to like both contribute mm-hmm. to my balance? Like this is where it gets super messy. I would never ask my wife to pay off my student loans. Gets a little hairy. I, I did understand. that. Like that's my fault. 
but um it, it was an interesting discussion in terms of like what interest rate on our savings will we need to surpass whatever the interest rate is on my student loans mm-hmm. you know what i mean and the the, the subtract minus and plus and subtraction and whatever else that has to happen when you're doing all that math um and so but it's complicated it's very complicated right that i mean that that's why people pay me <laughs> <laughs> frankly Indeed. like I, i'll i'll be honest when people ask me to do like student loan payoff calculations mm-hmm. and run scenarios for mm-hmm. them it could take my entire day really so you know i'm talking an 8 10 12 hour day uninterrupted phone not ringing not emailing anybody nothing it could take me eight hours to do four scenarios for somebody really? with the amount of math and like what ifs that come into it because you got to take into account like you guys are buying a house right do you own a car do you own two cars do you have daycare right. to pay for do you have child support to pay do right. you have all these different things that factor into the hierarchy of should i be paying these student loans first or right. should i be i have the question i get a lot now is should i be saving more for retirement or paying off my student loans more aggressively right and that's not a and or you know a, a black and white conversation right that really depends on a whole lot of other variables that then get factored into that math problem that just takes see that's why i went into communications because that just sounds real complicated <laughs> to me i mean but it, 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 once you do have the solution though uh-huh. and i think this is the reason that i'm attracted to the profession it's I'm solving a puzzle. Like I basically get paid to sit at my desk and, so, and solve a jigsaw puzzle. All right. Day. So once you do solve the puzzle, it's like exciting to be right. able to present this to somebody. Like I've got it. All right. Here's what you're gonna do. Here's why. Here's the if and. And it looks like you know you're drawing up a football play right. at the Super Bowl <laughs> on a whiteboard. It's actually very interesting to me. Well, well, that is a example. First of all, Monica and I need to come see you <laughs> uh, so you can solve that problem for us. But second of all, um, like I said, that's a that's a perfect reference representation of like whether or not you know and how complicated these things are um the article went on to say that researchers found from uh, kansas state university that arguing about money is quote unquote by far the top predictor of whether a couple will get divorced which is interesting um the arguments that we have about this these kinds of things tend to take longer to recover from and are more intense um and in two income households the easiest setup is to have individual accounts where both partners maintain their own assets but then have joint accounts that both fun to pay shared shared expenses that's kind of that's kind of how we do it i think that yours mine and ours approach solves a lot of headaches yeah so you know i I have a couple of friends who i can think of offhand right who kind of to your point with your wife where she wasn't looking at the statements and had no idea what i have a couple of friends who are guys that they get paid paycheck goes into a joint account right the wife takes care of everything (laughs) and they have absolutely no idea and no interest in what is actually happening oh wow they just know the lights are on the mortgage is paid we have a place to stay Uh and she's got it covered Uh for everybody else they freak out about this back and forth between what's yours what's mine what's your fault what's my fault what's your responsibility what's mine and i think that whole yours mine and ours that bucket of shared expenses right and then your separate expenses probably helps to keep the peace a lot more than trying to figure out why are you spending so much right. money at, you know, Popeye's or, you know, <laughs> Cheesecake Factory. Right. And I'm eating at, you know, Capitol Grill or, right. or Ruth's Chris. Right. right. That's true. That's true. Um, so interesting thing. It made some suggestions, this article. It says, what if one makes more? Um, the odds are that you and your partner will earn very different salaries and those amounts might vary widely. Um, so it is fair in that case to split the mortgage 50-50, 
the article says no. Um, it suggests splitting expenses by percentage of your income. So essentially, like, you know, whoever's the higher earner, you do the percentages. They pay a certain percentage, and you pay the lower percentage. Um, and then also another scenario, uh, deciding who pays for what. Um, what are the shared expenses? As you mentioned, Malcolm, the mortgage, electric, and gas bills are givens because mm -hmm. those are things that we need to, like, live from day to day. Um, but then how do you handle, as we said, student loans, the loan for the car you bought way before you knew your partner, uh, the balance on the credit card bill, maybe that you racked up before you met your partner. All these questions come from honest and deep discussions, which obviously is the only remedy for any of this. But the discussions is what matters. Cause yeah. remember, I don't know. I don't even remember how long how long ago it was, but I sent you an article that I found where somebody was saying that they hadn't told their partner how much credit card debt they had mm -hmm. and they weren't going to tell them until after they were married because <laughs> then they would know for sure if that person was in it for the right reason or something like that and i said this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard uh -huh. like you're guaranteed to get a divorce right. because you've basically just financially cheated on me right. but you're not going to tell me that it happened right. until after we're married and there's like nothing you can do about it right. or it takes a lot of work to undo it. Right. Like that to me, but it That's seems more common than, you know, yeah. like, you know, the conversation we had uh, not too long ago about if I have student loan debt, right. do I tell you the exact figure right. when we first start dating or right. even before we get married or Is do I wait until, you know, our honeymoon night and I'm <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's 102,000 like, <laughs> in your sleep. Like which, how do you do that? Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting. That's funny. But uh, it still happens. <laughs> Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. We want to remind people you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Quick reminder: you can always listen to past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course Spotify. Please, please leave us a review on any of those platforms. That helps more people in other countries listen <laughs> to our show. Um, and of course, if you have a question for Malcolm that you want him to address on his Malcolm's Money Minute. Send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. Uh, and, of course, you can follow us on social media. My handle is at MYDM1. Malcolm, what's yours? At Malcolm on Money. And, of course, that's on Twitter and Instagram. And you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com, backslash managerdamnmoney. Um, this is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We're talking love and money again. Uh, we will be right back. To manage your damn money with Ben and Malcolm, where we are talking about love and money again. Uh, Malcolm, so I mentioned I did a poll that no one responded to. 
about right. whether or not people would be I up. responded. You, you, you responded just now. <laughs> um, but there were people who didn't respond. There was like two that responded. But there was another poll that I put up on Instagram that people felt plenty comfortable responding to, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, the question was, when is the right time to talk about money with a new love interest? So I got some interesting feedback on that. Like a lot of people were like sounding off on that. I gave like a couple options. There was like three different options. Mm -hmm. One was like when you first meet. The second one was like, you know, something in between like where you're dating and kind of getting serious. And the other one was like not until marriage. Um, but the first thing that someone said was from uh, My Life on a Budget. Uh, within the first few dates, she says, as you get to know someone, the relationship with money shows up organically. Uh, and then Give Me More Monica says between when it's official and when marriage is in sight, certainly before moving in together. So that's yeah. kind of in that gray area when you know where it's going. Uh, so that, that makes sense. And then uh, See the Crown says, I was told I should mention my debt on the first date. I'm also assuming attractiveness has something to do with it. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what that means. I think she's saying on a sliding scale yeah, of someone's attractiveness, I, I get that. <laughs> which if is someone's more attractive, you're more willing to, uh, to, <laughs> to see this through <laughs> and see where like, the debt takes you. If you find, well, I could make some excuses. Now, for that's, your that's interesting that she was willing to admit it out loud because I'm sure it exists <laughs> for sure. Well, girl, he broke, but he fine. <laughs> Golly. Um, then uh, Foxy Roxy 619 says, within the first few dates, maybe not too personal, but you can feel out their money habits. Certainly you can see how they move and operate, just like whether they're splitting the bill or like paying for it or what they say or don't say. Um, and then Tiffany Brielle says, uh, the first few dates, talk in general terms and get a sense of their mindset and then go from there. So that's interesting of like where people think the conversation should start. I um, think whoever said on the first date is out of their mind. Yeah, that's wild. First of all, people are still lying in the first few dates <laughs> about who they actually are. Right. So talking to me about your finances, I can't believe anything you say yet <laughs> because, like, you know, right. I don't even know if that's your real hair color. <laughs> so let's let's take it one step at a time. Right. For sure. For sure. Uh, but whoever said after we're married also is <laughs> asking for trouble. Right. Because I mean, come on. So. There's got to be a, a happy medium somewhere. In for sure, for sure. Uh, well, another story that addresses that very question, how to talk about money on a first date. Uh, this is an August 2017 piece on CNNMoney.com by Julia Carpenter. According to a survey from Bankrate, almost half of all Americans living with a partner say they've argued about money. Um, the seeds of these fights can be planted as early as the first date, as we mentioned. Uh, according to the Bankrate alanist Sarah Berger, a third of millennials surveyed said they prefer to split the check, but more than 40% of women surveyed said they still allow men to pay for the entire date. Um, I think Sarah was quoted as saying, women and men vary so significantly, significantly in talking about who should pick up the entire bill. Um, people are hesitant to talk about money in the early stages of dating. And then as they get more serious, you might have mismanaged expectations if you didn't have enough conversations or you know, effective enough conversations on the front end. Um, so how do you set those expectations early on, Malcolm? The article suggests you, number one, start slow. To start, ask some simple questions that indirectly tell something about how the other person thinks when it comes to money. Questions about background and upbringing inevitably lead to questions about how you're different from your parents or what you learned from them. And if you were dating me, then money was definitely like sprinkled in there somehow, some kind of way. Uh, another thing it suggests, don't get into the numbers just yet. There will come a time when you know your sweetie's salary, credit score, and monthly budget. Right. Uh, but that is not on the first date, as you said earlier, Malcolm. 
Uh, for example, now is a good time to get an idea of whether someone is a saver or a spender. Do they have fear or confidence when it comes to managing their money? So those are like nice, like I call it, this is a good old man analogy. Putting your foot in the jacuzzi <laughs> questions. That's you your know? old man analogy. That's my old man analogy. But you can see what it is, exactly what I mean. Uh, another one that they suggest is that you don't judge. Explore, but don't pry, because those two things are different. Um, that's so, that's tough. Though. Really? Like, not pry, not asking follow-up questions? <laughs> so, you know, you tell me that you went to community college, which is either free or a couple thousand dollars, right. and then you tell me that you have $50,000 in debt. Mm -hmm. I can't ask follow-up questions. <laughs> like, you know, so confused. From, from that perspective, like, that, that – you might as well not ask at all if that's, you know, if, if that's the case. Right. Well, the article says, uh, so say the other person immediately quizzes you on your credit score, or maybe he or she is bragging about a huge purchase to your absolute horror. If you genuinely feel a connection, Hughes says you should say something about these road bumps right away. Um, then something else the article says, save the super serious stuff for later. After you've built up some trust with the other person, you can tip toward toward you can tiptoe towards more sensitive topics like the shame she, he or she may feel around debt or the savings goals they have set for you know the next year or next couple years or whatever it might be. See, I also think though, if you're going into it being completely honest, mm -hmm. you pay attention to what that person does oh, okay. or doesn't do. That's true. So if you're dating somebody and Every time you talk to them, they're spending $25 on dinner. Right. Or every time the weekend comes, they're, you know, going to the mall to spend $100 on something. Right. Those habits don't suddenly disappear because you fall in love with them. Sure. So you can't expect then that all of a sudden that person's going to change those things mm -hmm. just because you show up. Right. So you saw the signs. <laughs> you chose to ignore the signs I and not even sign. have a conversation to try and, uh, you know, modify them. Right. That's on you you yeah. chose to, to to take that shot so in that case i think a lot of times folks see the the uh habits the right. behavior and then just say mm, you know it'll it'll change because i'll say something or i'll do something that'll make it interesting you know change later interesting. which is a bad way to go about it in my opinion well uh it's interesting you say that because it makes me think of the first conversations that I had with my wife when we were like getting to know one another. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any explicit conversations, but she reminded me of something. We were driving on Rockville Pike recently in mm -hmm. Maryland, and she said she remembers a particular parking lot because a long time ago when we were first getting to know one another and dating, she said she called me and was crying because she said she didn't have any money left. And this is when she was living with her parents. Like mm -hmm. her financial habits were horrible. I helped her a lot with it just because she didn't know. Um, but she was like, that's the parking lot I was in when I called you and I didn't have any money. And I was like, you were living with your parents. What you mean? Um, and she was like, yeah, I called you and you like helped me out or whatever. And I had no memory of it. Uh, but it's interesting because like that, we just had that conversation like within the last week or so. I think you guys are fortunate that you both started off broke together. <laughs> so <laughs> it's an easy conversation to have uh -huh. when there's nothing to talk about. Right. Um, but it's tougher, I think, when you meet you know, in your late 20s, mm. mid 30s, okay. even 40s. That's true. Where now both of you are established or should be established adults right. and you're trying to figure out a, a way to make this thing work. Right. Then it's a lot more sketchy, I think, right. to be able to try and figure out how to maneuver that conversation. Right. Um, and I don't think necessarily it's, it's uh, that difficult for our generation in comparison to 
the two before us, our okay. parents and, and Xers. Like, if I think about how taboo it used to be to talk money, to ask, you know, how much does a house cost or ask somebody how much they spent for something. Our generation talks about what things cost right. very freely and openly in a way that, like, when I was a kid, that was, like, just Off you do not, like, ask somebody how much they spent on something or, right. you know, whatever. So maybe some of it just comes from that. Like, right. we have more of an open sharing culture as a generation. Right. So talking details around money is just the next iteration of that. Right, absolutely. So question for you. When clients come in to you, like married clients, mm -hmm. what's the approach to dealing with all these different financial elements to, to their lives? How do they prioritize So things? something I learned, and I don't even remember where I stole it from to give the person their, their due credit, mm -hmm. but something I started implementing like maybe a year and a half, close to two years ago, was I start off the meeting, one of the very first questions I'll ask a couple is, tell me some things, some places that you guys flat out agree right. when it comes to money, oh, wow. and then some places that you guys disagree when it comes to money. And I just listen to the things that they talk about. And nine times out of 10, they'll bring up something that they've never talked about together. Oh, wow. Or they'll say it in some detail that the other person's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Like, you know, and it doesn't matter how old they are, because it could be if they're older, it's things like how much do we help out our adult children or how much money <laughs> do we want to leave to our kids versus leaving to charity. Right. Or for a younger couple, it's like, how much do we want to help our kid go to college how much are they going to be on the hook for themselves? Should they get right. loans all together? I mean, there's always something different no matter how old they are and what stage they're at. Right. But there's always something mm. that they differ on right. that they haven't really put much emphasis on how much they differ right. because it's like, well, why would we talk about that? It doesn't right. come up in real life. Right. And so I try my best to get those kind of things out there in the open as early as I can mm -hmm. so that I can kind of gauge, like, where their inclination is when right. it comes to their money and then figure out where that happy medium is so I don't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and all that, again, underscores how complicated that a married couple might not come across some of these questions that you pose. Um, because it's such a complicated thing, uh, we do have a couple things that we remind people for those when dealing with money and love. Uh, do remember that thoughts about money are deeply intimate. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about, it was a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were talking about my student loans and like talking about them, literally, I'm, I'm sharing a really deep, intimate situation here. I was literally unable to speak for like periods of like 10 and 15 seconds. It's like having somebody, at, everybody's different, right? So yeah. for some people, it's not that personal. Right. For me, it is. Like right. it's extremely personal to right. me. So for some people, you know, it's just, here's what I got, here's what it is, <laughs> you know, whatever, Indeed. I could care less. Right. And for other people like me and presumably you, like it's almost like saying, talk to me about your childhood, right. you know, yeah. talk to me about your relationship with your parents. <laughs> How did that make you feel? And on that day, they didn't get you that horse you wanted for your birthday. Right. What did you do? Do you still cry about that when you go to sleep? Like, it's almost down those lines Absolutely. of meeting with the psychologist and them asking you questions about things you tried to repress. <laughs> like, that's kind of how, you right. know, so I, I get what you're saying. Right. Where it's like you get to a point where it's like, I have to have this conversation. Right. But I still really don't want to have this conversation. So let's talk about the Cowboys. Because exactly. that I can do all day. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, and with that being said, remember, uh, if you're a person who is dealing with another person talking about money and you're a potential love interest or a love interest, it should be dealt with with care and caress. My wife was very patient as I worked through my <laughs> speechlessness. In talking Your wife is very patient to deal with you in general, but we'll save that for a whole nother <laughs> Uh, episode. Another thing that you got to remember, avoid judging. 
Yes. Uh, be willing to listen, as Malcolm pointed out just a few moments ago. Uh, money has everything to do with how we were raised and what we've experienced or interpreted from the world around us. So be willing to make adjustments as a team. And that's just our two cents uh, from here at Manager Damn Money on that. I think I think those are all pretty salient points. Obviously, yeah. I'm super biased, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think we handled it pretty well. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, this has been another show, another love and money show from uh, Ben and Malcolm here on MYDM. Uh, we want to remind people that you can always catch past episodes on our show of our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Google Play, and of course, Spotify. I'd like to encourage you to leave us a review or a comment on any of those platforms that helps more people come across the show. Um, if you have a question for man for uh, Manager Dan Money, the show, or for Malcolm's Money Minute, uh, send it to us, info at managerdanmoney.com, and you can always catch us on social media. Malcolm, what's your handle for Twitter and uh, Instagram? At Malcolm on Money. And of course, mine is at MYDM with a one on the end, and you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Money. Uh, thanks again to our partners here at Montgomery Community Media for yet another amazing show. Until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. Peace.